Parker back with you here at ESPN-UP. The sports pen returns post-Memorial Day. Tanner Hoops here delighted you're along as always this Tuesday afternoon. Switching it up a little bit because John Michael Holtfling of ABC10, our usual Wednesday co-host, is with us today. We are flipping our friends from ABC10, and John Michael is with us today. What's going on, Mike? Not much, man. Not much, man. You know, just getting over the Memorial Day, you know, uh, what's the word? Getting over the Memorial Day celebration. There we go. Mm -hmm. And uh, getting back to the flow of things. I tell you what, we appreciate you getting back to the flow with us as we got quite a bit to go over here the course of the next hour or so. This was a tremendous weekend for sports, and it has been a long time since we've been able to say that. But compared to what we've had here lately, this was a tremendous sports weekend. We're going to break that down, plus news out of the college hockey scene that is a little bit positive. And uh, if college football really wanted a must-see blockbuster game, what would they do? What, who would they schedule and where would they play? I've got a list of some teams that would make absolute blockbuster matchups for college football. All that and more coming up over the course of next hour. But, Michael, I want to start by recapping the weekend because, man, this was a really good weekend for sports. And, again, we haven't said that in a long time. We haven't been able to say that in a long time. But the match on Sunday, the Pro-Am uh, 18 holes with – Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, plus Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, two of the greatest golfers of all time. They team up, and they have a televised match. They're mic'd up. They're having fun. And you know what, Mike? I hate watching golf. I do. It's like watching paint dry. I know you're a big fan. I cannot stand it. I cannot stand watching <laughs> golf. And you know what? It's like tennis. I played tennis for a long time. I love tennis. Hate watching it. Cannot watch it. Um, but, but, but Sunday was the first time in my life that I can truly say I enjoyed watching golf. I, I did, and you know what, I didn't just enjoy it. I really actually loved it. I mean, the players mic'd up, their banter back and forth. We had a little bit of everything, especially, I think, in like the first seven holes, we had everything we need, but that was just a really good event, and it's exactly what America needed. Yeah, that was incredible I, I loved it i mean and from from the get-go i mean just you could see the enthusiasm in tom brady and kate manning and that made it way way better than other things that came before that tried to emulate the same sort of thing like you remember that thing that phil mickelson and tiger did a couple of years ago mm -hmm. in 2018 where it didn't draw it was pretty much the same thing where they were just bantering and making bets on shots and stuff like that i don't think any of that happened like i don't think any bets were made this past weekend but that was ridiculous. Well, not by those guys. For the guys in the booth were making bets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, it, it was that one, the one that happened two years ago, saw a lot of technical glitches and just didn't really seem that interesting. So, one, the most important thing for this weekend was make sure everything went off smoothly. And for the most part, I think it did. I think it did. Obviously, the rain wasn't that good. Like, we would, everybody would have preferred it to be a clear day. But – Despite it raining, things still went off pretty well in terms of uh, technology. And then not only that, but throwing in two other people who sort of grounded the game of golf in Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, where they weren't focused solely on golf. Like, yeah, they were, do like, they were doing their darndest. They were doing their best to show up and show off. But 
the, just those two people there who have an outstanding rivalry and were able to bring outside aspects into the game of golf was really good. I tell you what, every bit of what happened Sunday, I was happy with. And, you know, it, it all started, you know, with the rain and everything. We're like, we actually get a sporting event we want to watch, and it might get rained out as, like, the most 2020 thing that could happen. But thankfully, like you said, <laughs> that staved off. And uh, it, it, it got going with a bang right away when uh, they started talking about their attire, what they were wearing, because Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson were a team. They both wore navy polos and black shorts. And then Peyton Manning was uh, teamed up with Tiger Woods. Tiger, of course, wore his traditional red and black combo for uh, for a Sunday golf match. Peyton wore pink and black because he was not going to allow Kirby Smart, the head football coach at Georgia, to get a picture of him wearing Georgia's colors. He, of course, went to Tennessee, an SEC rival, and he decided that he was not going to match Tiger Woods. So from the get-go, that was, that was great. I mean, having the players mic'd up, was the best part of that, uh, you know, with everything going on, yeah. that you could get their conversation instead of the commentators. It was like, it was 75% of the guys on the course, them being mic'd up, just that's what made it work. Even when they were warming up, they were just taking tee shots at the driving range and whatnot, and they were talking about, uh, you know, thinking about who they would have had caddy for them, and Peyton Manning was like, Looking at Tom, it was like, oh, I probably would have gotten Eli, maybe Nick Foles. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was great. I loved it. I tell you what, um, and speaking of Eli, you know what, I do want to get to Eli here, I'm going to put a pin in that, and I'm going to save that here for a little bit, because I want to keep going down the match route, um, I, Phil Mickelson, did you see it was maybe like hole three, where he did basically a Tony Romo impression, he told us exactly what he needed to do, what was probably going to happen if he did it, if he hit the ball the right way, and it was just the like most Romo breakdown, like he could look into the future, and uh, it was about that hole, I don't know if it had anything to do with it, but around that time, uh, Tom Brady's game really went downhill, like for uh, around the third hole, Tom really started struggling, and then athletes are in social media roasting him. They're like, this is our only chance to roast a six-time Super Bowl champion. So you have guys like Justin Verlander, Brooks Kepka, Andy Roddick, J.J. Watt, even Sean Payton, a coach that he's going to go up against Tom twice this year. Uh, they're all roasting Tom Brady for his poor performance, and uh, I tell you what, at one point, you know, Charles Barkley in the booth, he kept betting Brady uh, you know, like $50,000 out of his own pocket if Brady could get the next shot on the green, and Brady kept missing and not getting it, you know. And at one point, if uh, if Brady was able to get par on hole seven, they would donate a certain amount to charity. Charles, uh, you know, and that was one of my favorite parts of the match, Charles says, uh, I'm going to give you extra shots. I'm going to add shots to par here so you have a better chance at winning money for charity. And that made Tom mad. I mean, you knew it was good natured. You knew they're out there, they're friendly guys, but you kind of saw Tom gritting his teeth a little bit. I mean, that he needed that motivation. Steps up and just nails the best shot of the day. And from there, it was hole game seven, on. Yeah. Hole seven, he eagled. That was the eagle hole, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I tell you what, he, that was the turning point. From there, it was match on because Brady and Phil – we're down three strokes at the seventh hole, and they rallied. They got within one, but Peyton and Tiger were able to win it. But, man, you don't make Tom Brady mad. I mean, for what, what everyone wants to say about him, that guy, he's he's got will and he's got drive. 
I would kill for a shot like that, man. <laughs> I've I've played golf for like six years now. I play every summer. I play probably every other day over the course of the summer when I'm back home. So, yeah, I play a lot of golf, and I've never ever had a shot like Tom Brady like Tom Brady had on that one. I've never had a hole in one. I've never had an albatross. I've never. I, I think I have one eagle. I think I have one eagle, maybe. But I've never had a shot like Tom Brady just had. And seeing that, I was like, "Gosh, man, it was a great shot. Great yeah. shot." And it turned and the match around. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, they weren't able to come back, but I don't know if that's a spoiler warning or anything. But um, yeah, just watching that, I was like, "Oh my god!" And the fact that it wasn't. Like, I don't even care about the inconsistency that Tom Brady was having throughout the entire day. The fact that it wasn't Tiger or Phil just made it that much more exciting. It's like watching a pro-am and seeing Bob Barker destroy Happy Gilmore, you know? <laughs> it's, it, it, I mean, it, it's great to see it. And it just adds, uh, like, sports are dumb in a sense, right? Nothing ever makes sense in sports, except for Pat Mahomes winning the Super Bowl. That made sense. But nothing ever make sense in sports and that was one of the cases of it so i love it yeah i tell you what um tom was able to get his golf game back on track but unfortunately for him he bends down to pick up the ball out of the hole and the cameras get a great shot of his pants splitting down the middle and <laughs> he just <laughs> couldn't catch a break yeah poor tom but he's got six super bowl rings so uh, I tell you what, that was exactly what America needed. You know what else America needed that day was Eli Manning joining Twitter. Eli Manning finally joined the Twitter game on Saturday, and he was live-tweeting the event on Sunday with his brother Peyton, what have you. I tell you what, Eli Manning is quickly becoming the king of Twitter. Like, he is a must-follow. And if you don't, or if any of our listeners haven't yet, I encourage you to do so because he is funny. He, he is a funny guy. And uh, it, pretty much all he did when he first got on there, you know, his first tweet was, you know, a reference to Jimmy Chitwood from Hoosiers that he didn't know if it'd make a difference, but he's joining the Twitter game. And, uh, you know, he just, he'd do friendly roasts at some of his old teammates. Tom Brady did one. Tom said, welcome to Twitter. Although, as usual, you've joined late. And it, it, he just, he's low-key, really, really funny. And it's, I think part of it's his personality. Because he's never been somebody that stands out. No negative headlines or anything. He just quietly goes about doing his job. And just we've never seen a personality from him. He's just kind of a quiet, down-home, you know, good-natured guy from the South. And uh, he's he's a funny guy once you get a little personality of him. And I tell you what, Michael, he is quickly becoming the king of Twitter. He is going to challenge Stephen A. Smith's burner count for rookie Twitter count of the year. Yeah, he's a good guy, man. He's a good guy. I mean, the entire Manning family, I feel like you could follow him around for a couple of days and you'd never get bored, right? Mm. They filmed a rap commercial, for goodness sake. <laughs> but, like, do uh, you remember that one? Uh, I remember the the Dirty Dancing uh, commercial with OBJ. Mm. No, 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 no. You need to go back way further to the rap video that Eli and Peyton made together. That was a good one. Classic, <laughs> man. But, um... Yeah, I mean, he's a good one. I think that Tom Brady still has a really good Twitter account, especially for being so new. And I do think that, you know, one of Eli Manning's first tweets was an advertisement. Mm. I think that that takes him down a couple of days. Oh, no, 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 no. He, 
there's a the new hashtag with his following. He's got a cult following now on Twitter. You read the replies to his tweets, and the new hashtag for him is he don't miss because every tweet he lands. He is just he's a funny guy, and you know what? We've never seen a whole lot of personality from him as a player. We had, we had moments. I mean, his facial expressions on the sidelines. And do you remember that picture somebody took of him at the beach? And you think of an NFL quarterback or a pro athlete, you think of some muscle-bound guy, six-pack. And Eli just he's got kind of a, a little bit of a pot belly. He's not, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. He wasn't, I wouldn't say, I guess, necessarily pot belly. But, you know, some of his teammates have said he was an avid beer drinker, even when he was a player. And he definitely doesn't have a six-pack. Um, and then he's wearing the, you know, his swim trunks and he's got this dopey look on his face and he's holding like a, a toy bucket, like a child's beach toy. And he just, he's a funny guy. He's just low key funny. And, uh, if you get the chance and, uh, you haven't yet check out Eli Manning on Twitter, check out the replies too, to see kind of his cult following because he's just, he's a funny guy. All right. Yeah. That's a must do for you listeners out there. I tell you what, Michael, um, do you think that if he had done this earlier, because he's gotten a lot more popular here now that he's joined Twitter, uh, do you think that if he did this during his playing career, that it would affect his Hall of Fame status be, or the debate around it? Because a lot of people are split on this because Eli's about as borderline as it gets. Is he a Hall of Famer or not? And uh, it, it public perception of him has gone way up after this weekend and if he turned into this lovable guy well before he retired do you think people would think differently about that debate i think if he got a twitter while he was playing it would have destroyed him Hmm. I, i i do because think about how critical sports fans are yeah right and obviously peyton manning doesn't have a twitter to my knowledge as of right now right but there are a lot of players that can't handle the the the, the criticism, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people that can't that just I I don't know, man. I I feel like that that just would have added unnecessary uh, drama, and it would have hurt him a li- in, in a sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, it would have been great to interact with the world and whatnot, but he's Eli Man. Like, he gets the interaction he wants already. Mm-hmm. You don't need a Twitter. You don't need the validation of a cult following. Because guess what? As for every cult member he's got, there's another person in New York saying how much he sucks and how much they need to start Daniel Jones. So I, I think that would have hurt him in the long run, actually. So I think staying off of social media, especially in his later years when he started to fall off, really helped him in the long run. And I think that it wouldn't have affected his Hall, Hall of Fame status as much, but it, it, it could have only been bad, in my opinion, for him. That's a good point. I think it's helping now. <laughs> I mean, his public opinion is going up. But uh, here, let, let uh, before we go to break, I've got kind of an interesting question I started thinking about on Sunday that I want to pose to you, Michael. And, you know, it was in regards to Tom and uh, Eli and their, you know, kind of back and forth with each other. Um, Eli, of course, you know, he's got his two rings, uh, his team's are 500 in games where he started at quarterback and I don't think quarterback is a or win loss is a quarterback stat I know you do I don't want to get into that but I know that a lot of people do say that's a detraction of him um a lot of his numbers are pretty respectable they're top 10 and but people are saying you know it's all because of those two rings like if he didn't have those two rings uh, we wouldn't be talking about him getting into camp so the question that I started thinking of and I want to get your thoughts on Mike um 
he got he of course got those two rings against Tom Brady, slaying the mighty dragon that was the New England Patriots. If if he didn't get two rings against Tom Brady, if he got one against Tom and one against maybe Ben Roethlisberger or even Joe Flacco, who at the time he went to the Super Bowl one year after Eli did, is so much of this hall his Hall of Fame debate is it about the two rings or is it about who he took those two rings from? It's about the two rings, uh, and I think that who the two rings got, t- uh, who he took the two rings from, has some to do it. But it's about championships. How I always view Hall of Fame status in every sport is: can you tell the story of the league without this player? So, frankly, I think Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer, and not for the stats. You can pull up all the stats you want and whatnot; that helps. But it's: can you tell the story of the NFL without mentioning Eli Manning? And frankly, no, strictly just off of the 2007 season, right? Patriots go 18-0, and 0, but who stops them? Right. Eli Manning. And you have to mention that. You have to mention that. And just on that season alone, obviously you have to have a good career otherwise. Like Nick Foles isn't going to be a Hall of Famer. But Eli Manning is a story of the NFL. You cannot tell the lore of the National Football League without it. So for that he's undoubtedly a Hall of Famer. Yeah, but you can't tell the story of the NFL without Nick Foles then either, coming in as a backup and denying Tom Brady right. ring. Right, but that's just, that's just one moment, right? That's just one moment. There's not enough in there outside of that one moment. Eli has has one moment that's, arguable, that's definitely, not arguably, definitely greater than Nick Foles' moment, and he's got an additional Super Bowl on top of that. Like, yeah, you, like, you could say you could tell the story of the NFL with Joe Flacco and Trent Dilfer and people along those lines, but in general, they don't have enough. Like, yes, it's a great story to follow the Philly special and coming in for the injured Carson Wentz and people didn't trust the backup, but and grabbing the first Super Bowl for Philadelphia. That's great. But taking down a dynasty in its prime when they went 16-0 and undefeated with arguably the greatest wide receiver of all time ever, the helmet catch. I mean, come on. Like, nobody will ever forget the helmet catch, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody. The Philly special has already sort of become a meme at this point. Right. All right. All right. Uh, I mean, you can, tell the, you, you can tell the story with Nick Foles, but it's not necessary, I don't think. I mean, Carson Wentz was almost the MVP that year. I tell you what, Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you at ESPN-UP. Let's take our first time out. When we come back, big news out of college hockey this week, and we'll tell you what you need to know next on ESPN-UP. Lawns and gardens grow better on topsoil than on rocks. Ishpeming Concrete is now open for you to get your planting season started. Get a half yard of topsoil gently loaded into your pickup truck for just 18 bucks. That's a whole lot less than the 25 bags you'd need from the home store. Sweeten up your plantings and fix your lawn from the ravages of winter. Topsoil, the softer side of Ishpeming Concrete. 400 Stone Street behind Robbins Flooring. Open weekdays 8 till 4.30. Locally owned with a total commitment to quality there's no contact paying with a credit card and you don't need to leave your vehicle now open saturdays seven to noon now back to the sports pen here's tanner who Some of it bad, some of it optimistic. Here's what we know, and it started last Friday 
around the time that we were wrapping up our show. And it was unfortunate news, Michael, that the University of Alabama at Huntsville announced that they would discontinue their Division I hockey program as well as their tennis program due to COVID-19. They were just financially not going to survive that. So Huntsville announced that they were going to discontinue their hockey program effective immediately. They're obviously a member school with Northern Michigan, Michigan Tech, and the uh, WCHA, at least for now. And they were supposed to come up here, Huntsville was, supposed to come up to the UP twice in February, including Winter Carnival Weekend for Michigan Tech. So now you have a big gaping hole in the schedule again. It's getting to the point where everybody's almost full and it's too late to fill it. You might be thinking about a bye week. And, it, you know, it's just unfortunate, Michael. We just saw another program get added uh, with Long Island University, became the 61st school in the country. And uh, we, we thought that, you know, we might be growing the sport here. We might be adding to college hockey. And unfortunately, Huntsville uh, decided that they were going to make that decision and pull out of their program. And uh, it's it just that hurt. That was sad to see. Uh, Mike Corbett, the head coach there, obviously got some ties to Marquette, used to spend some time up here. And, you know, they were a good rivalry, with especially with Northern. They're just a feisty, gritty, blue-collar type of team that, you know, they didn't have a tremendous amount of success, but they were really fun to watch. So uh, as of right now, they've discontinued their program. But, uh, man, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, they, they did announce last night that they are trying to revive the program, that if they can raise $1 million, then they will keep hockey. So there's there's reason to be optimistic. They've started to go fundy, and, man, I'm just hoping it all works out for them and we can continue to grow the game. Yeah, I mean, it's always bad, or it's always sad to see something go. I mean, I think for the players in general, the players in the WCHA, I think it's a, it's a plus. Like, it's unfortunate, but it'll probably become a bye week, and that helps a lot of college athletes out. Well, I tell you what, it's just, other than that, there's, I don't know, I, I hate seeing the sport. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of pro sites. Right, yeah. right, and you know, it's just. I saw 11 players had entered the transfer portal from that school the day after the announcement was made. And, you know, I covered two of those kids uh, when they played junior hockey in Sioux City. And, you know, you, we have rumors that we've been hearing that Illinois could be close to adding a, uh, adding a program. Navy is on the cusp. Maybe Oakland U downstate. Uh, you just you feel like we were that close to really helping college hockey grow in this country, and then something like this happens. And Huntsville, we are hoping that they're able to make some progress. They, uh, I, I've been checking their GoFundMe many times, and they're right around a hundred thousand dollars that they've raised here in just 24 hours. And again, they got to get uh, at least to 500 thousand by Friday. They are they need a million to try and save the program. Uh, but they said if they can get to 500000 by Friday, that's a good step. And they're about a fifth of the way there after 24 hours. So I'm hoping they are able to do that. We can grow the game. We can grow the sport here. But, uh, man, regardless of – it's depressing because regardless of what happens with Huntsville, maybe they do save their program, maybe they don't. A lot of schools are not going to survive this. You know, what? It, it doesn't have to be just hockey. We've seen Olympic sports get cut at even major schools. It doesn't have to be – smaller levers, uh, level schools, but there's sports all around this country that aren't going to survive. I'm just looking at a list right here. Some schools have cut even Olympic sports. Akron, they've axed men's cross country and golf, 
and their women's tennis team. Bowling Green has cut baseball. Furman has cut baseball. Central Michigan has cut men's track. Cincinnati men's soccer. East Carolina men's tennis, swimming, women's tennis, and women's swimming. Uh, uh, Florida International has cut men's indoor track. And then Old Dominion has axed wrestling. Just some of the programs that have been cut. But looking specifically in the hockey side, Mike, it's depressing because this isn't over. I mean, there are going to be some schools here. It's not if, but it's when. There are going to be some schools that, frankly, just won't be able to survive this. And I'm looking specifically at the Alaska schools, which is super unfortunate because they were in trouble before this anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's going to be a matter of time. I think it's only a matter of time until colleges cut every single sport that isn't profitable to them because that's just how business works. Mm. Um, I think that having these other sports like i mean swimming and water polo are the two that come to mind for me first but you know having those sports even baseball softball sports that you know don't make that much money like for the bigger schools coastal carolina vanderbilt stuff like that i'm sure that baseball does make money but for most schools it's just something that's there it's something that's there as an incentive for other students to come and join them but in the long run if you don't make money off of it, it's something that's going to be discarded later on. So I think it was only a matter of time, and they're using this as sort of an excuse to get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't like to see it. I don't. But I like from a business standpoint, I think it was only a matter of time before we saw this stuff happen. Uh, I, I, I'd like to think that's not the case. I love seeing sports grow everywhere. I, I hope that's not the case, but... You know, it's like some schools, like you mentioned, Vanderbilt or Coastal Carolina, some of those non-revenue uh, non generating sports are the revenue generating sports. Like traditionally, baseball is not the cream of the crop, it, it, you know, around the country. It's mostly your football and basketball programs. But for some schools, it is baseball. For Northern, it's hockey. And that, that's certainly not the case at a school like Alabama. Uh, but for the most part, you're right. Some of those non-revenue generating sports are certainly at risk but looking at the hockey side man i'm i am uh, i'm worried for the alaska schools you know before covid19 we didn't know if they were going to play uh even this past season with the governor's budget that has taken so much from them uh cut their funding and you just got the feeling it was only going to be a matter of time and i i hope they survive this i don't think they will but i really am hoping some of those schools do and then I think a few of the schools out east and maybe the Atlantic Hockey League, uh, at, at Atlantic Hockey, how about Atlantic Hockey Conference? Um, some of those schools that are D2, D3 for everything else, but they're D1 for college hockey, I get it. That's their revenue-generating sport, but they're just not a big enough school, and that's another dynamic that you've got to factor in. Yeah, it might generate revenue, but if it costs too much to put on, then that's a problem, mm -hmm. you know? It's, so it's not a matter of revenue, it's a matter of profit then, right? Yep. A matter of how much you make past the expenses. So, I mean, obviously you hate to see anything go. I mean, in a perfect world, we still have all sports and everybody gets to play whatever they want, right? right. But that's just not how it goes. I mean, in terms of sports that don't make profit, sports that are easy to put on and stuff like that, sure, they can stick around. I think swimming and gym. Uh, I think swimming is a sport that doesn't require much upkeep. It requires like a pool cleaner, but you can get that for a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. It requires lane lines, but in general, students manufacture uh, students uh, put together and maintain that stuff. Or at least that was always my experience. 
So there are a couple sports that don't require much upkeep and you can keep around. But in general, the sports that require a lot, gymnastics, baseball, requires a lot of equipment and stuff like that, requires a lot of field maintenance. So those are the sports that I think are the most at risk, just the sports that require a lot, a lot of money, uh, investment to go into it. So we don't want to see anything go, but from a business standpoint, it just it makes sense for schools to look at things from a monetary standpoint. Well, I tell you what, we've got some good news from college hockey here before we go to a break, and it is the fact that Long Island U, the newest member of Division I college hockey, announced their first ever head coach last night. They have selected Brett Riley, the assistant at Colgate to Don Vaughn, as the first head coach in program history. And I tell you what, Mike, that is a home run hire for anybody who's familiar, especially with the Riley family. They have just become a dynasty amongst college football, uh, college hockey. And I'm trying to think of like a, a, a comparison, like who's that family dynasty that like just they can produce coaches at the collegiate level in football oh, or basketball? Coaches. Well, I, I was thinking more of a player standpoint. I was going to say the McCaffrey's with college football. Okay, that's a uh, good dynamic. But the Rileys are kind of like that as far as coaching at uh, the college hockey level. Uh, Brett Riley is now the fourth of the member of the Riley family to land a D1 head coaching job. And he formerly was the head coach at uh, Wilkes. And he literally built that program from, scr- uh, from scratch into something very like a powerhouse. And now he is tasked with building another program from scratch, uh, this time at the collegiate level. So, in my opinion, home run higher for Long Island U. It's a good one, for sure. We'll see how they handle their first season. I think it's going to be a little rough, but in time they'll get there, especially with Riley. I tell you what, Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Delighted you're along as always on ESPN-UP. Let's take our next time out when we come back. If college football is looking to make a big blockbuster splash, what are some matchups they need to make happen? We'll tell you after this on ESPN-UP. Here's Tom from Donkers in the Delft. All right, the Donkers in the Delft currently have curbside pickup online ordering and delivery. It's a great opportunity for everybody to taste our wonderful food. We also have programs you can, when you order online, you can join the Rock Club or the Bulb Club and you get discounts, 11%. We'll send you a message when your order's ready on the curb and uh, we'll also make sure we send you a message when we're gonna deliver your order. You can go to our website, donkersonline.com or the delphbistoonline.com. Now back to the Sports Pen. Here's Tanner Hoops. That they will be moving their headquarters from Providence, Rhode Island to Irving, Texas. The minor league baseball team, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, AA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins, have placed their stadium on Airbnb. For $1,500 per night, guests staying at the ballpark will have full access to the clubhouse, a large bedroom with 10 beds, the batting cage, and the field itself. How about that? And finally, a Korean baseball team was caught on camera during a broadcast filling a section of empty seats in their stadium with sex dolls. That is your Sports Center update. Glad you're along as always here in ESPN UP. How about, uh, you know what, as interesting as that last part is, I know we could go down the rabbit hole there, Michael. How about the Blue Wahoos? You can stay in a minor league baseball stadium. I mean, it, think about that if you're like having a birthday party or something. You can sleep in the stadium, 
you wake up, you, you go out on the field, play a, a game on a real stadium, uh, bachelor parties. I mean, that would be that would be the move, man. I mean, think how cool that is. <laughs> be a good one for you and I. I feel like would it be fun? Enjoy that. I, yeah. I think there would be a lot of guys that you know if, if they have ten beds. I think you know you get ten people to chip in. What is it? It's fifteen hundred dollars. So what is that? Each one hundred fifty? Is that is my math right? It was how much? It's fifteen hundred dollars. And if there's ten yeah, yeah. people, so, so ten people, hundred, yeah, hundred fifty. That would be you fun. That would be the move. I mean, think how much fun that would be. You can sleep in the stadium. You just have full access to the stadium. You can just wake up, go out and like play wiffle ball in the field. Like that would just be the move. Sounds like a good time, man. It's a beautiful stadium too, right on the ocean down there. I, I tell you, minor what, league stadiums are always super well kept. They I are. Admire them. Yep, they do a good job with that. So I tell you what, good move for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, and that name is tremendous, by the way. Um, man, I, I think that's gonna be. I don't know if it weren't during COVID nineteen. Uh, I know that would sell really well, and you know maybe it still will. Either way, this is what I want to get to, and it is, it, you know, it just got me thinking this weekend. Here's the backstory behind it, Michael. You know, I was doing a little work this weekend, and, you know, assuming that we have a college football season, I am doing some prepping for my media credentials for the October 19th football game, Notre Dame and Wisconsin at Lambeau Field. And it got me thinking, you know, because this is a really cool idea that they're doing. Notre Dame, Wisconsin, they're two brand names, uh, two iconic programs, both nationally relevant. And they're playing at one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic stadium in America, or at least a football stadium in America at Lambeau Field. And then they're doing it again next year at Soldier Field in Chicago, and that's Notre Dame's part of the home and home. And it got me thinking, if college football really wants to have some blockbuster matchups, what are some others that they could make happen with this? Like, what would be some other potential matchups that would just be absolute must-see? They would sell out if, you know, thinking to the future. I know that's not plausible right now. And it, it got me thinking, what are some matchups that would be of that caliber? I've got a few here, Michael, and I want to get your thoughts on them. And, uh, man, I tell you what, some of these were some of these were tough. Uh, but, man, there's uh, – you, you got to take a few things into account. Brand, of course, is a big one. You know, what's a sexy matchup? Uh, national relevancy. You know, you, I mean, if you can get uh, the Palace at Dallas, you know, but you only get Stephen F. Austin against UTEP, I mean, big deal. Who really cares? And then location mm -hmm. is the other thing. You know, you, you're in a location, a venue that is just that awe-inspiring. So I put together this list. You tell me, Michael, if this would be must-see television or if it's a must-buy ticket for you some of these potential college football matchups and i'm going to work down my list here a little bit i put together seven and we'll save some of the better ones for last this one is kind of a kind of a tricky one because its location hasn't been built yet but the washington redskins are planning <laughs> on getting a new stadium inside the dc metro area and I think that would just be great for a college football game. It's a new stadium. It's right in the nation's capital. Be a perfect neutral site game for two nationally relevant teams, maybe even powerhouses. So I put together okay. what? I'm just saying, okay. Okay. I am put uh, putting together a matchup of Ohio State and Clemson at the new Redskins Stadium once that is built. Two nationally relevant programs 
one of them beats the other, they're immediately up at the top as far as uh, the odds to get the number one seed in the college football playoff. And the others, should they lose, it's a good loss, and they're really not damaged on their resume, provided the other keeps winning. I think that is compelling, two nationally relevant powerhouses playing at a brand-new stadium in the nation's capital. I mean, yeah, I mean, you put Ohio State and Clemson anywhere, I feel like that's going to be good. You throw it in the nation's capital, you throw it at a brand-new stadium, and yeah, it's going to be the talk of the town. It's going to be the best thing since sliced bread, right? So, yeah, that's a a must-see TV thing right there. You know, and they've got history, a little bit of history. They've played each other four times, and Ohio State has never beaten Clemson. They've never beaten Clemson in those four matchups. And you think about the, was it Woody Hayes and – uh, was part of a brawl to, when they met in a bowl game back in the day. Uh, so there's a little bit of a budding, I don't know, budding, I don't know. But there's a little bit of bad blood there. I think that would be compelling yeah, football. I, I don't know if a rivalry is the thing you want to focus on, though, when you're trying to attract a new audience. Like, a rivalry is good for drawing in more hardcore fans, but if you're trying to attract a new audience, it's like you don't know the past. You don't know the history between the two schools. So trying to this is a rivalry just really isn't the best way to go i feel like i've got a few other matchups of some schools that have almost no history with each other so let's see if any of those are going to be on this list uh they are going to be on this list but we'll get your thoughts on those when we get to it this is though michael we are going to completely go against that school of thought and i am going to renew a rivalry here i'm going to renew an old rivalry All right. and uh i'm I, how about this matchup texas and texas a&m at the Palace in Dallas. They play it at AT&T Stadium. Obviously, they were huge rivals when they were in the Big 12 together. They would play every year on Thanksgiving. And that matchup has since gone away with Texas A&M departing for the SEC. They're not on each other's schedule here in the near future. But, man, renewing that kind of rivalry in Texas, they don't have to make it a home-and-home or worry about multiple years. They can just make it a a neutral site matchup in Dallas. I mean, as big as football is in Texas, you can't tell me that would not be must-see TV. No, it would be great. It would be great. I don't know if it would get the rival renew renewment uh, sort of reaction that I think you're hoping for. I think in general, because, you know, they're not rivals anymore. They've sort of grown past that for the most part. And there's obviously no debate between the two schools about, or at least I haven't seen it for, Who's better, Texas or Texas A&M? Everybody sort of agrees that Texas is sort of the best school or the best college school. I mean, they're the only school that has a their own network, right? Well, Notre everybody Dame's got that agrees. deal with NBC, but yeah. Yeah, but they're the only – everybody sort of agrees that that's the best destination for Texas college athletics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you can make the station uh, – you can make the argument like College Station obviously has a little bit of – say in that but in general it's texas so i think in general that game between texas and texas a&m at the palace in dallas would be more of a friendly it would have more of a friendly feel to it than more of a rivalry you know what i'm saying i don't feel that way these two were rivals they've been defunct now and it's not about necessarily renewing the rivalry because you know it's it's kind of a one-time thing that you get one chance to silence your rival for who knows how long it's you know if you don't have plans to schedule them in the future you get one chance to renew this rivalry and you get to do it at one of the most beautiful stadiums in football i think that's kind of the angle that i'm pressing here i mean that's fine right but in general they haven't done anything against each other they haven't been at each other's throats for some time now 
No, because so, they couldn't, because they, they're in different conferences. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, when you talk about the great college football rivalries, when I've had conversations like this, nobody ever brings up Texas and Texas A&M. Even years ago when they were playing each other, I feel like that never really came up. Mm, I don't know about that. I've heard that conversation. I've had that conversation before. But I tell you what, that would be one that I think would be a really fun one. Uh, here's another that I think could end up being really fun. And this one is kind of... I, I twisted this a little bit because I did later find out after I put this match together that they are scheduled to play a home-and-home, home. so that's my only asterisk with this one. How about a rematch of the 2010 National Championship, Alabama and Texas playing at the Superdome in Louisiana? Yeah, that's going to be great. That would be great because it's two flagship programs, mm -hmm. Alabama and Texas, and I think that's the thing that's going to sell most people. It's what? just seeing two historic, recognized, brand-name schools. You know, and they get to play it in a beautiful facility down at the uh, the Superdome. And Alabama is still a program that is much more nationally prevalent than Texas is. That being said, Texas is still a formidable opponent. And if they were able to, I don't know, make it upset or somehow get back to national prominence, I mean, that's a big deal for Texas. It's not too, necessarily two giants going together, but it's a different dynamic in the sense that maybe there's the possibility of an upset on a neutral side. I mean, I, I wouldn't say – like, college football is one of those sports where I feel like upsets are so rare. And, like, they happen every weekend, but they have – so people don't think they're rare, but at the same time, it's like they don't happen at all. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like you see, you see a couple every weekend, but it's like what two in seventy-five games that might be huge upsets. But you never know which one. You never know which one. That's true too. But football, college football especially, is just one of those sports where I feel like upsets don't really happen. Like if they could make it close, if Texas could make it close, then sure, it would be a great one to watch and whatnot. But in general, I think Alabama would sort of wipe the floor. That being said. It's not about how good the game is going to be. It's about how you can sell it, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that the whole point of this this uh, segment? Yep. Is top 10 games for college football to really shell out and get people to buy tickets and whatnot. And I think just having two flagship programs, having two nationally recognized schools, one with a lot of history, the other with the most recent history, and everybody can – like when people talk about dominance lately in sports, they talk about the Golden State Warriors – the New England Patriots, and Alabama football, I feel like are the three teams that everybody talks about, right? So yeah. having a school like Texas that's so big, so well-known, you could go to China, people know who the Texas Longhorns are. And then having Alabama football, a school that's so dominant, that creates a storyline in and of itself, and that'll sell tickets. All right, fair enough. And, you know, and that's the other thing is we could uh, go back and see some old rivalries that were defunct like Cincinnati, Louisville, uh, West Virginia Pitt, Kansas, Missouri, but who really cares about those matchups? I mean, it's like, you know, I'm from Iowa. Back, back when Iowa State and Missouri were in the Big 12 together, they had a tremendous trophy. They had the telephone trophy. Uh, is that one of the cooler trophies? Sure. But who cares? Who cares if Iowa State is playing Missouri? I mean, the, it's about brand name, how you can package it, and what would be a blockbuster matchup. Let's sneak in one more here before we go to the break, Mike, and we'll get to the others after this uh, after the commercial. But how about, you know, I'm bringing up Clemson again, but two teams that got a little bit of history. Not much. You don't think of them together, but Clemson and Auburn. 
two Tiger schools playing at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, the brand-new home of the Falcons. They've met a couple of times throughout their history. There's no real rivalry there, but Clemson, a national powerhouse, with Auburn, a school that's respectable in college football right now. And they've come up with, Yeah, I know, but they've come up with some big wins from time to time. I think that would uh, create a really interesting dynamic in and of itself. If you were trying to go with the Tiger versus Tiger slam, I'm surprised you didn't choose LSU. Well... That's true. We could go LSU and Clemson. I feel like we're going to get more familiar with them. I mean, sure, you could put LSU in there. Either way, I mean, Auburn's in the SEC, and just the SEC brand's enough to get some schools involved, some people to sell tickets. I know it didn't really work out for, like, who, Kentucky? Yeah. I mean, Kentucky was a good school for a year with Josh Allen and whatnot, but then they sort of fell off. So I think the SEC brand adds a lot to it. I don't know, but that game, along with Texas, Texas A&M, is, is the, w- w- one of the games that you've said thus far that doesn't draw my interest as much, but I'd still watch it, obviously. All right. I tell you what, Tanner Hoops, John Michael, hopefully with you. Let's take our last time out and the rest of the matchups that would be college football blockbusters. Next on ESPN. Stop using a card that only rewards you for spending at certain places or during certain times. At MBank, you can shop with the card that rewards you with cash back on every purchase. With the new MBank scorecard, Cashback Visa, you'll earn 1% cash back every time you use your card. No rotating categories, no annual fee. Apply today. Stop by your local MBank branch to get started or visit bankmbank.com for more details. MBank, community focus, client driven. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Now back to the sports pen. Here's Tanner Hoops. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hopling with you. We're glad that you're along as always. Put together a potential list of blockbuster college football matchups. This could be must-see TV, maybe renewing old rivalries or starting new ones. A few more that I've got here on my list, Mike, that I want to get your thoughts on. How about a, well, it's almost like branding, a battle of brands. That's the way I want to put this. It's a battle of brands. How about Oregon and Notre Dame playing at the brand-new Raiders Stadium, Allegiant Stadium, in Las Vegas. And the thought behind that is they're both fairly prominent program. Notre Dame has gotten back to national relevance. Oregon sometimes is. They've just won the Pac-12, and they're pretty darn good. So I think the matchup in and of itself would be really good. But then the whole brand thing with it, I mean, Notre Dame, of course, is one of the most iconic brands in all of sports. And Oregon has made a name for themselves. But it's more than that. It's Nike against Under Armour. And it's a really good matchup at a beautiful new stadium in Las Vegas. I think both fan bases would turn out for that. And I I would kind of like to see that, Mike, a neutral site game, Notre Dame, Oregon at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. I was going to say that's what's going to make it is just the look of the game, the feel of the game, because you have arguably like obviously not every not every uniform that Oregon has hits, but most of them people agree. Yeah, they look pretty good. And Notre Dame just has that very classic, old-school feel. Under Armour does a really good job of maintaining that tradition in Notre Dame's uh, look when they're out on the field. 
So it's good. It's going to be one of the best looking games. And you throw in Las Vegas, the feel of Las Vegas and whatnot. I think that that would sort of more lean towards Oregon. So maybe a more a neutral site, a more historic site would be uh, fine. But I think in general, just having those two iconic, great looking feel, um, great looking jerseys, uniforms on them. I mean, I feel like if you make a list of the best uniforms in college football, Notre Dame and Oregon are both going to be on there. Mm-hmm. And obviously, just the look of both teams isn't going to make the game. But as you said, they're both nationally relevant enough to make something out of it. So I'd really like to see that one. Uh, is that your favorite so far? Is that your favorite one we've come up with? I would say that that's my favorite so far. The one, the, the um, I think the uh, Texas. No, no, not the not not Texas. Sorry. The Alabama versus um, – It was Bama and Texas. Yeah. Alabama – yeah, Alabama versus – it was Texas. Yeah, Alabama versus Texas. I think that's my favorite one still. All right. I've got a couple more here you can uh, try on for size. And this one is I, – I had to tweak it a little bit because the next two teams on the layout before you are renewing a rivalry. And I get it. You're not totally into that, but this one is one worth seeing again. And uh, it, I did have to tweak it because they are actually scheduled for a home-and-home home here in a couple of seasons. They're going to play uh, twice, one at each team's home stadium. But my thought was a neutral site game between Nebraska and Oklahoma. They used to have one of the most vicious rivalries in college football. Oklahoma, of course, they, you know they're nationally prominent. They've been to the college football playoff the last three years. Nebraska is still a brand. They are still an iconic brand for college football. So I'm not going to copy them and say Nebraska, Oklahoma, home and home, although I am happy to see that they are doing that here in a couple of years. How about Nebraska, Oklahoma at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City? Uh, I mean, I think Oklahoma is enough of a sell because they're so like what sells tickets, right? Offense. Mm -hmm. And Oklahoma has been arguably the best offensive school or the most fun school to watch in terms of just pure scoring capability over the last couple of years with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, all those folks. So I think that that's enough to sort of sell tickets. Nebraska would just sort of be along for the ride in that one. Oh, but they would turn out for that. Nebraska fans would absolutely oh, turn yeah. out. They've got hardcore fans, sure, sure. But if, if we're talking on a national scale, I think that in general, Nebraska would just be along for the ride. Most people would be tuning in to watch Oklahoma. I don't know. I don't know. They did get game day in Lincoln this past year. Yeah, yeah, they got a game day, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I as, as a college football, I'm, I'm not the biggest college football guy, but as somebody who is looking at this from a marketing standpoint, I think that you would really push Oklahoma as the fun, entertaining sort of thing. Whereas, what does Nebraska bring to the table? I don't know if I could name two people on Nebraska's team. Mm. I think there you promote the history between each other. You go back to the 70s even, and they carry that rivalry through, I don't know, the, yeah, through the odds. But, but I mean, it's, it's, compelling. The that, it's the same thing that I've sort of said, right, is a lot of people, if you're trying to, to plead or market towards the older demographic, that's fine. But what drives, um, what drives television is the younger demographic, the people that tune in and stay there in the 18 to 34 age demographic and 18 to 34, none of those people alive during that time. No, you don't don't have to be, you don't have to be alive during that time to appreciate it, it, but it helps. It helps. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm 
crowd that Notre Dame's won 11 championships, and I never even came close to watching one of them. I, I don't think you had to be alive to appreciate well, I, the I, greatness that, and the history. I think, that, I think that has to do with you go, like you being a fan and you uh, having a lot of involvement with them. Like, I, I don't remember Stanford. Like, I remember Stanford's, like, good old days, but I don't remember way back in the day when they were a powerhouse every single year in uh, several different sports. And, I, like, for the most part, I don't respect the Stanford Cal rivalry that's supposedly a huge thing because I don't remember when uh, a day and age when Stanford and Cal were both powerhouses at the same time. I remember a day and age where Cal was a powerhouse and then Stanford was a powerhouse. All right. Okay. Well, if you say so, I've got one more here. And uh, although I, I would tune in for Arrowhead Stadium hosting Oklahoma, Nebraska, I think that would be a lot of fun, especially for somebody who's been a part of that rivalry. Um, but here's here's the last one that I've got on here, Michael. You try this one out for size, and you know what? It's going to involve Nebraska again, so keep an open mind. But, <laughs> but man, this one, I'm going to cheat a little bit because it's not a neutral site game. This is one I actually think should be scheduled as a home-and-home. Home. You would have Nebraska and their passionate fan base with Notre Dame and their fan base. Two iconic, legendary brands that – would uh, have two of the best fan bases, most loyal fan bases. That Notre Dame had the longest sellout streak in college football until a couple of years ago. Nebraska has it now. These fans would travel. It would be a race to see who could dominate the other's home field. Nebraska, Notre Dame, home and home series. There is so much iconicism that you could brand, that you could market there, especially if you get it twice. You do a home and home. I, I I would think that would just be some that's something that college football does need to make happen. I mean, obviously on paper, I think it's great theory craft, but in general, it, if you're talking about the fans or what makes it, people don't watch football games for the fans. And I know that you're saying that the brand for each school makes and whatnot, and I think that works for Notre Dame because they've been relevant in the last couple of years. But Nebraska just doesn't have that feel for me. Uh, I. I would disagree. I I greet that with skepticism. I think those two fans are enough that you it, you know it's not just about the television rights, but it's uh it's the merchandise that you can get through uh through having obviously those fan bases gonna, there. Obviously, you're going to sell a lot of tickets because of the fans. But in general, for most schools in Division One, they already have passionate fan bases with their students and alumni and whatnot. So while you might sell a little bit more than those than other games like TCU or something like that. In general, I think that when it comes to port, like broadcasting to a national audience and making money via the television rights and stuff like that, which is where I think the real money is, is advertisements in that sort of sense. Like tickets are what, fifty bucks? Um, I think that varies, but no, I, I know it varies. But if we say like an average, what would you say about an average? I, I don't know. We can use that for an example. But okay, let's say it's like fifty bucks, and you sell a hundred thousand, which I know is a lot because I know Michigan has the biggest stadium and they hold a hundred nine thousand. Let's say you sell a hundred thousand, then that's five million dollars, and I feel like you can make a lot more than five million dollars in a game outside of selling tickets. And so, uh, I think that the biggest thing when it comes to marketing and getting people to tune in is the um, is one the level of play, and then two the relationship between the two schools and any sort of national implications. And I just, uh, I like with Notre Dame, obviously there's a huge upside to that, but I don't get that feeling with Nebraska. How about you, Mike? Do you have any suggestions, any games that would be a better idea? 
well, I don't know. I, I think the venue has very has the least amount of it to has the least amount to do with it, right? Really, I disagree. I disagree. You think more people would tune in if it like because uh, I don't know when I watch the Super Bowl. I don't really care what stadium it's held at, you know? Yeah, but in a like, college dynamic, has, with a college it, dynamic, I think it's different. With a, Okay, so, like, what, what stadium, like, if college had a game anywhere, just straight up anywhere, if the national championship could be held anywhere, where would it be? Well, they kind of rotate, it seems like, between Pasadena, Miami, and Baton Rouge, or, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Superdome in New Orleans. Yeah, that's fine. But, like, uh, I don't know, because I don't. I never watch games for the stadium, except for maybe baseball, because baseball, the stadium is so – the stadium plays into the game, you know? All right, fair like enough. Like, how much, how much foul territory is there and whatnot. So I, I don't get that feeling for football. Like, the only stadium I could think of that has an effect is Oakland, because they play on a baseball field, and I hate that. So um, – I don't know. I feel like the venue isn't as important to me as it is to you, which is fine. I don't mind that. But if I had to come up with a matchup, it would definitely be two powerhouses, two schools that everybody knows and looks at and respects. So I'd probably say Ohio State has to be on there. And another school that's been really good for really long. I don't want to say Alabama because I feel like that's taking a really easy route. Right. But Ohio State and maybe – Florida? Okay. All right. Especially if like Urban that, Meyer was still there, that'd been a fun matchup. Yeah. I feel like that could be a really good matchup. And that's regardless of any sort of matchup they might have had in the past. Like, if I was going like strictly old school rivalries, then obviously Miami, Oklahoma would be the first one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't interest me as much as it interests like my father, so to say. You know? All right. All right, fair enough. Um, LSU, I think, no matter who they're playing, I think they would be compelling. And, you know, I don't know. I I, I think that the location is a big part of it, too. I I don't know. Um, I, just, like, I, can't even, I can't even tell you where the last national championship got played. Just because the stadium doesn't have anything. Like, it doesn't just – it. It just doesn't have any impact on the game, in my opinion. Well, it did, though, this past year. It gave LSU pretty much a home field advantage. Yeah, but still, like, even that, even if the Super Bowl got played, uh, in most terms, it it got played at a team's home site. Like, let's say the New England Patriots made it to the Super Bowl and the game was at Gillette. I still feel like it would be, it would seem like a neutral site for the most part. It would, like, enough people from other sides, just college football enthusiasts or football enthusiasts in general, would come to make it more or less a neutral site. And obviously, as a national championship game, they have to market the field to be a more neutral site and whatnot. So that will help with that aspect, too. We are going to have to agree to disagree on that because, uh, man, we're out of time. I do appreciate you being on here, as always, and giving us your insight. Are you working on anything over at ABC 10, or what's keeping you busy lately? (laughs) Nothing's really keeping me busy right now. We're just waiting until sports comes back, which could be sooner than later. That's what we're hoping. I mean, NFL mini camps might start in June, so... We're looking forward to that, and 
Yeah, just keeping our heads up as, as for the time being. Well, I tell you what, we're looking forward to seeing what happens with the wide world of sports and how ABC 10 is going to cover it. That's it for us here in ESPN-UP. Back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope you join me. Until then, for John Michael Holfling, I'm Tanner Hoops. Have a great rest of your Tuesday from all of us at ESPN-UP, WJM, Fishman, and Marquette.